Yep, that's the thing that happened. So, um, we're going to start talking about the church service um, that, that we do. Uh, it's something that, that has become literally ingrained in all of our, our hearts and minds. We can, by and large, go through a Sunday morning without looking at the hymnal for, what, half the time, if not more? I mean, short of the hymns, y'all can pretty well do the thing now, right? And that's how it's supposed to be, to the point where um, I can come to the hospital room, and even if we don't all bring a whole bunch of hymnals, we can go through the, the majority of, of the service. And so we know that it's important, but a lot of times when we don't actually know why, um, dark stuff can, can start popping up. And so we throw these, these church words around because they make us sound really sanctimonious and, and holy or, or, or pious or, or whatever. But, but all of them are actually rooted in an understanding of, of who we are and what we believe and where we, we actually think God is and how he's working. And so even the word liturgy, um, the word liturgy is, is of the word Greek word liturgia. It's, it's, it's public service is what it translates to. And so back in the day, um, if you were um, a, a wealthy nobleman, it was your public service to care for the roads around you, for example. And so I don't know if you happen to, to bring in a whole bunch of gigantic windmills. Um, after you <laughs> tore up all the country roads, if you owned out there, if you were wealthy, it was your job to then provide for the public good by fixing the roads so that commerce could happen. Uh, when we say public service, we don't just mean then that the liturgy is the ceremony. The liturgy is the memorized words that we've all done. Um, because when we, when, we divorce, um, when we divorce the words that we're saying from what we believe, from our faith, they, they not only become meaningless, but, but they, they kind of get dangerous in that they breed superstition. Um, and superstition is um, what would happen is when we think we can start, a, start to figure out how it works and then try and control it. And so give me an example of a superstition. Don't walk under a ladder. Don't walk under a ladder. And so this is sort of uh, kind of a childish way to, to try and control the world. I walked under a ladder and then I stubbed my toe. So you know why I stubbed my toe? It was because I walked under a ladder. We, we take these things forward and we say there's basic cause and effect. And if we can figure it out, then we can start to control the world around us. And another word for that is witchcraft. Um, magic spells are, are really at their very core. How can I control the universe? What magic words can I learn? And this was something that, especially in the time of the Reformation, was, was huge when it came to, for example, the Lord's Supper. Um, and so, so many things started to pop up out of the idea that we knew that something that the priest did turned the bread and the wine into... The body and the blood. We didn't know exactly what. So you know the word, the, the hocus pocus? You know what that comes from? That's the Latin words of institution. So the priest then would, would institute the supper in Latin, and he would say, hoc es corpus meum, this is my body. But all that, because he had to mumble it just right into the, the thing, and he didn't actually tell anybody what he was saying or why he was doing it, but they knew when he was saying hocus corpus all of a sudden, it, magic happened. And so you got Hocus Pocus. You know where the Hokey Pokey came from. I'm not kidding. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out, you put your right hand in and you shake it all about. You do the Hokey Pokey and you turn yourself around. And that is actually what it's all about. Um, these, these were things that, that people sort of grabbed hold of and they said, if we can sort of control this thing, or at least see how it's controlled. Then we know what to do. And so one of the things that, that started happening is, well, I don't know what it is, but it sure wasn't Jesus' body before, so we're going to take it home. And so people would take home Jesus' body, 
and they would build their own little altar to pray to it. Or sometimes they would even just break up little pieces of it and put it in their garden, figuring that it would increase yield. It's Jesus' body. It's got to do something good, right? Um, it, it, and so we, we started to come to the practice then of um, the priest wouldn't even give you the Lord's Supper in your own hand because he was afraid you would steal it. He'd put it right in your mouth to make sure that you weren't going to do anything with it. Like um, crazy people at the, at the asylum. Um, when, when we start to, to really wrestle with these things, um, dark things can start to come off. When we don't actually talk about what it is that we're doing and why it is that we're doing it, we try and fill in the gaps. And it's every bit as foolish as, as hocus pocus. Um, and so the, the purpose of, of this study then um, is, is largely just to start to address everything that we do and say because it's riddled not just with symbolism and meaning but, but with just scripture itself. And so as we start to study what it is that's going on here, um, we, we, we can start to find our God at work in just wonderful new ways um, because this is why we do all of these things. And so, for example, what's it take to do a baptism? Water, Water and Water. what's the word? Good. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Water. Done. And why does our baptism right take seven minutes? Why are there candles? Why is there white cloth? Because Jesus loves us is actually a really good answer. Um, all of these things that are going on, they point to what this baptism is. They start to define it. They start to give shape to it. And so we say, receive this candle to show that you have received the light of the world that is Jesus. Receive this white garment to show that you have received the white garments washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. Everything that we do is, is trying to paint a picture of who we are, of what our God has done for us. And all of it sort of circles around this idea um, that, that is kind of the foundation of Lutheran worship. Is God present in a meaningful way on a Sunday morning? Not just God is everywhere. But is God present in a meaningful way? Does it make what we do here different than everywhere else? Because one of the things that we love to do is we recognize that, all right, Christians ought to pray. Um, Christians ought to, you know, read the Bible. Um, but why do I got to come here on Sunday morning? Good. This is where God said he would give us his gifts. Um, in other words, God has commanded that there be a Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy is the third commandment. And this isn't just then, you can't make a day holier by watching TV. Like, you can try it, but it's just a, a day that's TV. You know how I know, we, we've done this with, with other things. So, why is Saturday game day? What has to happen? There has to be a game. And I know that it's game day because at the beginning of the day, everyone is wearing red. And at the end of the day, everyone is using profanity. And this is how I know that the Huskers have played lately. Um, <laughs> but the day itself revolves around the fact that there is a game. You can't really have a game day without a game. And in the same way, you can't have a holy day without something that makes you holy. So... You show me how you can holy yourselves by watching TV, how you can holy yourselves by sitting on the couch. I can't. You want to have game day? You got to watch the game. Otherwise, it's just Saturday. In the same way, Sabbath day is not do no work, but be near Jesus because he is holy. If you want to receive holiness, you have to go to where holiness is in the same way that if you want to 
interact with the Huskers. You have to go to where the game is, either in person or where it has been promised to be found on whatever channel or radio station. So our commandment then doesn't just mean do no work. If you ask Luther what the Sabbath day is all about, if you said, what does this mean? He would say, well, we should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear it and learn it. Um, and so there's something then that happens inside of the divine service. I want to go Matthew uh, for a couple of verses and kind of contrast something. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 to start. Matthew 6, 6. It reads, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So should I pray in front of you? No. No. I should pray in secret. But on the other hand, just a few chapters later, if we go Matthew 14, 23. Matthew 14, 23. When Jesus dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Oh, that's not the right verse. I don't remember what chapter it is, but it is where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. Um, I messed up on the chapter and verse, at least I remember it. Um, so, are we supposed to pray by ourselves or with two or three? Three. What was that? Yes. yes. You know, yeah, both. You know what I really love to do as a sinner? Take two things that God gave me and pick one so I can get out of the other. I am very much a path of least resistance kind of guy. And so, when you tell me, do the dishes and take out the trash, what I hear is which one's easier? I'm going to take out the trash. Uh, oh, you wanted me to do both. I don't know. But we do this, though. Should I read the Bible or come to church? Well, if I read the Bible, why do I got to come to church? If I pray, I can pray anywhere. I can pray at home eating waffles. I can pray in the fields because it's harvest. I can pray at work. Why would I need to come and be near a whole bunch of other sinners? I can pray anywhere, so why do I pray here? I live next door, so it's easy for me. Why do you come here? To learn about Jesus. To learn about Jesus? Okay. You're not, you're not too far off, kid. Um, has God actually promised to be here? He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with you. In other words, God is everywhere. But the whole gospel is founded on two words. They're little. The little words are the most important. I'm really coming to believe that. We, we love to say fancy words like sanctification and justification, and they're good. They're, they're fantastic. But if you don't understand the little words, um, the big ones just, they, they try to make me sound smart, like I memorized a little Latin, so clearly I know what I'm doing, right? Um, the two words that everything hangs on here are for you. There's a difference between a cup of coffee and a cup of coffee for me. God is everywhere. But that is not a comfort. It, it's just not. Because then you have to say, God is behind all the things I don't like. Or at least, he's present while they're happening. Where was God when a tornado rolled through Pilger? Well, he was in Pilger. It's just, that's not really a comfort to anybody in Pilger. Where is God in the divine service? He is here, but not only is he here, he is for you. He is for us, for the remission of our sins. And so when we start to talk about this, the divine service centers on the fact that God actually wants to be present for you in a meaningful way, in a way that is different than God is everywhere, so do whatever you want. 
If God is actually here in a meaningful way, it's going to start to change how we behave. In the same way that when I was 15 and my parents were home, I spoke one way. And when I was 15 and I was not with my parents, I spoke a very different way. Why would I do that thing? Can you not please? No. Uh, because I'm a sinner. Um, I'm a sinner. Thank you, Zoe. Um, so... If, if God is truly here in a meaningful way, all of a sudden, do we dress the same way here that we dress everywhere else? Do we speak the same way, sing the same way, listen to the same instruments? Something unique is happening. Now, when we talk about divine service, the whole thing centers on this. God is present for you for the forgiveness of sins. But even still, he does tell you to pray by yourself as well. There's a difference though, what? Let's start in how it works, okay? Can you come to God by your own reason or strength? Can you figure out who to pray to on your own? Look at a sunset, write down the Athanasian Creed, piece of cake. Pronounce all the words in the Athanasian Creed all by yourself while looking at the book. Um, it's, so we recognize then that the, the, the faith that we have in private is shaped by what we receive here, first of all. So how did you learn to pray the Our Father? I was taught. Where did they learn it? Where were they taught? It wasn't even necessarily just they read it in the Bible, or Lutherans wouldn't say the end of it. Because you've heard Jesus pray it, right? But deliver us from evil. Amen. We tacked on, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, out of Second Chronicles. We did that. And it's not bad, by any means. It's good. But if you ever gone to a Roman Catholic service and been the only person in the world who accidentally says for thine and then oops, um, really loud while everybody glares at you, um, at your grandpa's funeral, um, <laughs> I'm not throwing rocks at, at, at uh, your little sister or anything, um, I, you learned the Lord's Prayer from your church. In the same way, the, the faith is not simply handed down in a book to have and, and hold privately. Um, even the language that, that we start to speak here has to start with the fact that we don't come to God, but God comes to us. And so I say, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gift, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. That's our small catechism. And that means for the Holy Spirit to call me, where does the Holy Spirit have to be? He has to be within earshot. Somehow. And so the third article of the Creed, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, isn't, it's not then just your kitchen leftover junk drawer because you need eight pens, half of which don't work, a tape measure, and a, three flashlights without batteries. We don't just have a drawer for all the junk that we know is important but can't throw out. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So where does the Holy Spirit work? But in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. In other words, the, the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies, and keeps, he does it through the church. This is the thing that starts to shape everything else that we do in private. Show me where come Lord Jesus is in the Bible. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Where did you learn that? Yeah, by and large at church. Um, or if we wanted to do our catechism one. It's a psalm. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord. Give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing is a psalm. But then, O Lord, our God, dear Heavenly Father, bless us in these thy gifts which we receive from thy bountiful goodness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
That's our catechism. This is where we, we start to get shaped. Um, we, we share a language, even so much so that if you come to a, a midweek service um, where there's no communion, do a lot of the, the portions that you'll find in Vespers or evening prayer, are they kind of rooted in what we still do on Sunday morning? So I can say, the Lord be with you, or and with thy spirit. And, and yeah, we, we, we start to learn how to speak these things to one another. And it's all coming out of the divine service. Um, that, that God would be present for us here. Means that even as we start to pray on our own, we pray in the peace that we have right here. And so we don't set the two against each other, because God is not a crazy person. If God was a crazy person, he would give us two things that don't go well together. If I was a crazy person, I would tell my kids both at the same time to pick up their rooms and read a book. And they go against each other. You can't do both. If God is in a right mind, he tells you to do things that go together. And so he says, on the Sabbath day, receive my gifts. And then every day, pray. Abide in my word. Come together. As, as we, we, we do these things, it, it all sort of comes down to what happens on Sunday morning shapes Everything else. Are you kind of with me so far? Yeah. Yeah? Questions? Yeah. All right, so what's worship? Because that's kind of our, our favorite lay word now. She had a question. Mm. Um, no, you can't push the button. I love you guys and Jesus loves us too. I love you too. That's not a question though. Um, <laughs> all right, so what's worship? I mean, we, we sort of, as Lutherans, have learned to define it as God gives us gifts and we respond in uh, thanks, praise. Um, worship is something that happens in idolatry too, though, right? So we can worship things that aren't God, right? What is worship then? Yeah, okay, so we can go to our first commandment, which, which is you shall have no other gods, which means that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And so for me to worship something else is to fear, love, and trust in something else above God. Worship at, at its core, it's really just to, to publicly declare what something is worth to you. That's really what worship is, right? How much are you worth? And so to worship God then is to simply recognize he is priceless treasure. He is the giver of all good things. He is the source of every blessing. He is the one who, who gives. Then, having received from him, I do respond in, in prayer and thanksgiving. Worship then kind of gets split into just that. We receive God's gifts, we return thanks and praise, or, or worship is um, sacramental and sacrificial. So the sacrament, is that you doing something for God or God doing something for you? God doing something for... What's sacrament? I, that's a fancy church word. It makes me feel smart to say it. But what's a, what's a sacrament? It's a gift that God has given us. If, if you're a Lutheran, we kind of define it three ways, right? It's a gift that God has given you. So God instituted it. It's got a visible element, and it forgives your sins. That's how Lutherans define it. Other denominations will define it a little bit different, and so we kind of bicker sometimes about how many sacraments there are. If you're Roman Catholic, there's seven of them. Um... To a Lutheran, we say, it's not really super important how many sacraments there are. It's important that, that they do what God has promised that they, they would do. That you can find them exactly where God has promised they be found. And so when he, when he makes them, then, I know exactly how to do a baptism. 
He keeps it really, really simple so even idiots like me can manage it. I'm serious because I would do it wrong given half a chance. And so because you guys very quickly learn that I'm not a particularly bright man, need to know, Pastor, I know he sins a lot and, you know, he, he's not too bright. How do I know my baptism stuck? And so we, what well, was there water in the word? Okay, we're good. <coughs> when we say sacramental, this is how God works and where God works for us. So the sacramental aspect of worship is God gives. And then the sacrificial is, is we return thanks and praise. We give to him that which he is, we give to him thanks for that which he has given for us. Um, are you kind of with me? Yeah. And so there, there are aspects of both then. Uh, which one kind of takes over as, as primary inside of uh, a Sunday morning? Is it more about what you do for God or more about what he does for you? It's definitely more about what he does for us. In fact, if we make it more about what we do for God than about what he does for us, um, he sort of disappears into the, the ether altogether. Um, and, and it's great that we are here, and it's great that we praise you, O oh God, but have you ever said thank you to somebody who hasn't given you anything yet? That just makes you sound mean. That, that's a passive-aggressive way of, of trying to get something. At best, it's a bribe. Um, worship for us is, is primarily about what God gives to us. And so we see it in the word liturgy, which again means public service. This is not us publicly serving God any more than the peasant would publicly serve the, the master when the word was actually used in the, in the secular sense. This was something that the master did on behalf of the people. Liturgy, by its definition, is where God would serve us. God would serve for the public good. And so the, the things that we would speak back and forth to each other, they are the means that God would use to give to us his gifts. I know then that, that when we, we say, um, our Lord Jesus Christ in the night when he was betrayed took bread, these words that God has given me, there are means by which he would do stuff for me. There are a way that he would, he would work. Um, and, and that way, it, it is solely rooted in above and not from below. And, and that's important. Um, when, we, when we put the thing down below, um, it gets really clicky really fast. Like when we put the thing down below, who, uh, when Jesus was wrestling with the Pharisees, who determined worth? Did, Jesus, or did the Pharisees kind of take issue with who Jesus ate dinner with every once in a while? Who is Jesus spending his time with? Mm. Sinners, tax collectors, ill people. Um, people who, who, if I were to judge, I would say aren't worthy. And Jesus says the worth is what I would give. But if you want to put it on you, put the whole thing on you doing stuff for God, put the whole thing then on um, not God working through means for you, but you doing stuff for God, pretty soon it, it becomes either my job to determine who's worthy or your job. And so let's do communion this way. If I like you, you can come. If I don't like you, you can't come. Why don't you want to do that? I like you. You're okay. Um, no, I'm, but this is what we want to do then, right? We definitely, you don't want to please me. You don't want to bribe me because what do I? Um, but you also recognize that I'm a sinner. If, if it's mine to start to determine who's worth and who's not, the only people who can come are the ones who don't need. And this is where God's supposed to serve us. And in the same way, 
if it becomes us as a, as a clique then to look down on other people, to wall ourselves off from the rest of the culture, to wall ourselves off from the rest of our community and say we are better than you and this is the way that we demonstrate that we are better than you by doing this thing and no, you can't come. Again, where is God working for, help, for the help of the people? What good comes from this? This is why we go to the public declarations of God. What does God say about us sinners? Well, yeah, but why are we here then if we're not worthy? Good. This is a public declaration. Come to me, all you who labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That God would speak this way towards the unworthy, towards sinners, towards Pharisees and tax collectors and ill men and lepers all alike, means that this, this, this um, identity that we have is not found in how we would look at each other, how we would behave, how we could buy or earn or build, but wholly and completely in what God is doing for us. Even just in this word liturgy, we're saying that we are building something here that is not of our own, but it is a place where God is working through whatever he's doing here for us so that we can be united in something bigger than ourselves. Are, are you kind of with me here? Yeah. Do you think it was different in the Old Testament? Like, because in the Old Testament, we, we get this picture like, all right, so it God mad. So since God's mad, I'm going to give him this cow. And then he won't be mad, and he'll stop calling down fire, and I'll win a war. Old Testament. Done. Right? That's the summary, huh? No? All right, so let's start with the fact that God's identity hasn't changed across it. Is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? So is there ever a point where Jesus wasn't, the, the second person of the Trinity, even before the incarnation, wasn't merciful towards sinners? No, I know this because as soon as Adam and Eve fell in the garden, what was the Lord doing but promising them a savior? Um, in the Old Testament then, where did the cow come from first? It came from God. And that just isn't God gave it to you so it's God, so don't whine if he takes it back. Um, that's that's, that's a, a shallow way to look at things. When God gives gifts, he gives them with purpose. In the same way that you give gifts to each other. We, we don't give gifts that have no purpose. And so, like, if I really like bowling, and I know Lisa really doesn't, so I buy her a bowling ball, is that a good gift? No, because what am I doing? Right. Lisa, I, I, I bought you a, a power tool. Um, not, it's not working, is it? When we give gifts, we give gifts according to purpose. And so I got my, we, we got our, our daughter a coat, and it's pink, and she likes it. But what's the point of it? I know, that's why she's my daughter. I love you very much, yes. Why do we give her a coat? Because your other one got too small. We need to keep you warm. When we give gifts, we give them with purpose. Do you think God doesn't do the same thing? He's better than us. So some gifts God gives that we would eat of them, and some gifts God gives that we might sacrifice of them, but they all come with purpose. When God just sort of plops a whole bunch of stuff in front of us and doesn't give us something to do with it, we tend to make a mess of it. How many of you guys don't like reading instructions and then regret it later but can't say it out loud? Me. If you don't actually tell me exactly what to do with it, I will screw it up. 
God knows this. And so when he gives us gifts, he ties them then to our vocations, to the ways that we interact with each other. Because these gifts aren't for us to hoard. These gifts aren't for us to sort of like build our way up to heaven. But these are the things that God would give us that we might both serve our neighbor and exist in this world until he would call us home. And so if God would give to people cows, well, can you eat a whole cow? What's a cow for then? Not just for you, but for for your community. Especially back then when there was no refrigerators. Once you butcher this thing, there's a clock, right? I mean, you can extend it a little bit with some salt, but I don't know. Some things he gives for the service of food. Some things he gives for the service of sacrifice. God gave enough, not so that you would pick and choose, am I going to eat or am I going to please God? I don't know, I don't know. But God gave both. And so, God who gave this thing for the purpose of sacrifice said, here, this thing that I gave you, I will use it to forgive your sins. And then I will act through this gift to establish you in the land. It's a foreshadow of how, in the same way, what was Christ here to do? Forgive our sins. He was here not just to sort of walk with us and talk with us and hang out with us and tell us whatever we wanted to hear. He was here for a very specific purpose. And in fact, whenever, I don't know, Peter decided that Jesus shouldn't go into Jerusalem and on the third day be, or be crucified and on the third day rise, Jesus turns around and looks at him and says, get behind me. We don't divorce the gift from the means that it's supposed to be used from. In other words, it's a tool and not a toy. Stop playing with a pocket knife. That's not what it's for. It's not a toy. It's a tool. If you're going to use it for good, great good can come from it. But if you're going to screw around with it, I'm going to take it away from you. You know why? That's where bad stuff starts to come in. In the same way, God gives us gifts for these very same things. Um, the temple worship was not sort of us doing stuff to make God happy. It was God being present to forgive and save in a very strict form. Again, so that we can be certain of it. How do I know that God's not going to wipe me off the face of the map? Well, I sacrificed the cow just like he told me to. Which is why we don't play with pocket knives. Um, and so, um, what? So again, worship in the, in the Old Testament. Um, it, it centered around this. God is present to work good for you in specific ways so that you can know it's working. Do you think it's changed in the New Testament? So we don't make up our own divine services here. We don't make up our, our own worship here. Um, but I'll recognize something then. Is there a commanded form of divine service in the New Testament? There is in the Old, but is there in the New? Can you go to chapter and verse to find divine service setting three in LSB? No. 1 Corinthians 10.23. We're going to do a couple of things. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. It reads, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Could I eat the entire box of Oreos? Is it helpful? No. No. Not for my body, at least. Could I grab a handful of portions of psalms that make me feel good? Say only those over and over and over again like a mantra, and then put it behind some, some fog machines and feel kind of cool about it. I mean, I could. But my question is, is it helpful? 
Does it actually work as God intended to forgive my sins? So we'll say two things. One, the church has had power to speak through the age. The divine service has changed through the age. Um, it started very early, like in um, first century, like in the people that, that were taught by John the Apostle. Um, so we're talking, you know, second generation Christians. They had something called the Didache, the teachings. Uh, he, he wrote a book. They named it after him. Um, and, and so um, there you can even start to find the beginnings of the divine service. By the third century, it's, it's something that's very recognizable for you to translate it into English. It's old. Um, but I, and, and that it was existing in, in places where people were taught by John. Like, I have to live under the shadow of Pastor Hilbert. Like, imagining being, the, being a pastor that followed John the Apostle. Um, that, that's rough. But at the same time, that we started to shape this as we were given freedom to, the question is, is it helpful? That's really the question about church. Is it helpful? Because you're right, you can use whatever instrument you want. You truly can. You can say whatever portions of scripture you want. You truly can. But is it helpful? Because one of the things that we recognize is that as we, we cherry pick from this book, we can make it say anything. Right? So the KKK can quote the Bible. And they do. Wrong. They just grab the parts that sound nice to them. I can do that too. Which is why we have something called a lectionary. We'll get to that later. Um, but we have set readings each week that I don't pick. And I don't want to pick. That's to protect you from me, from making this only about the things that I want to talk about. This makes me talk about the whole counsel of God. So that it would be helpful. Are you kind of with me here? So if I know then that New Testament worship flows out of the Old Testament. Where God was present where there were rituals by which you might know God is present, and which was chiefly about then atoning sacrifice, what might the New Testament divine service start to be centered around? But the same thing. So, for us then in divine service, it's not simply how much praise can I heap upon God, but is God promised to be here? How do I know that he's here? What what things has he given me so that as I look to them, can I be certain that this is actually working? Because if you want to base this whole thing on my feelings, will, it always, will church always feel helpful? And this is one of those things that we are criticized of. Pastor, I didn't feel any different walking out than I did walking in. And sometimes that's true, right? If I genuinely don't feel any different walking out than I did walking in, what happened? Because if the whole thing is just me praising God and I'm not feeling praise in my heart, what happened? So we don't base it on that. That's not helpful. The real question is, did God forgive your sins here? Turn your heart to that rather than trying to shape the universe by your heart. Because one doesn't work and the other does. In other words, um, if you want to get warm, go outside where it's 90 degrees. Don't stand out in the snow saying I'm warm in my heart and so everything will be fine. Your heart does not have the power to shape the universe. I'm so sorry. If you're wanting to praise your way into a better life, I'm so sorry. You're still going to die. Like that's just, that's the wage of the sin. On the other hand, if we turn our eyes towards that which God is working, our hearts will get tugged along the way. And that's not bad. 
And so I say, did you eat and drink Jesus' body and blood today? Are your sins forgiven? Has God promised that through this you were tied not only to heaven someday, but right now? Rejoice. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Fix your eyes on Jesus and, and let the rest kind of follow. If you want to make this about yourself, well, it doesn't work so well. For the Lord has said, seek the Lord where he may be found. So is it helpful to look for him where he's promised not to be? Does it even help to look for him where he just hasn't promised anything? Does it? There you go. Yeah. Sure, sometimes we don't see the ways that he's working, and that's, that's very confusing and frustrating, because I, I promise that God works all things for the good of those who love him. I stole it right from the Bible, so I know it's true. Um, but if I have no idea what that good is, talking about God's plan is a really, really cruel, horrible thing to say to people if you're not going to actually tell them what it is. Like, it, it just is. I mean, in the same way, like, that doesn't soothe my four-year-old. Why would it soothe you? If I'm going to say, I've got a plan for this, but I refuse to tell you what it is, just, that just makes her mad. Then she screams at me. Christians are no better. In the same way, too, we're, we're reading the line, the witch in the wardrobe um, at, at home, and, and there's, there's this line that, that um, got lifted from it because Lewis was a, a bright guy. Um, they're, they're talking about God, and they say, um, he isn't tame, but he is good. If you're looking for God everywhere because you think you can control it, it's not going to work for you. God is not tame. Knowing that God is everywhere doesn't mean that you can control everything because God is not yours to command. The universe is not yours to command. It's God's. He is not tame. He is not your pet or your vending machine or your butler. He is good, though. And so that which he works, he does for good, even if it is wild and dangerous things. Even there, God is at work for you. So again, for me, God has promised to be here that I might know. And God has promised to do it in this way that I might know. Because I know that God has a plan, but I don't know what it is. And so that hasn't helped. And I also know that while God has a plan, the devil, the world, my own sinful flesh have very different plans. So much so that I have to be taught to pray a very specific thing. Deliver us from evil. So where has God delivered you from evil? You started on the cross. How do you get to that cross? You see what we're doing here now. This is what church is about. When we start to just sort of wade into the unknown and try and find the best, you know, the, the best positive outlook, you don't need God for that. There are, in fact, probably more optimistic atheists than optimistic Christians in my experience. Um, like, we're a broody bunch. <laughs> because we're probably a little more honest about the nature of humanity, the nature of sin, the nature of death, the nature of evil. Um, they're real. We don't like them. So we pray, deliver us from evil. And then we look to the places where God actually has promised to do this. And that's, that's actually where it finds its strength. 
You see, the, the liturgy that started in the, the first century and, and was shaped in the third, this is a liturgy that has survived um, persecution when our religion was illegal. This was a liturgy that has survived great heresy as the church divided and fought over whether or not Jesus was God over just everything that, that, that has built up the, the three creeds that we have known. This liturgy has survived wars that have taken out like full towns, you know, quarters of the population. Uh, the Twenty Years' War did, did damage like you wouldn't believe, like no war in recent history has. Um, the, the church has um, given a liturgy that has survived famine and, and the Black Plague. The real question today is whether or not it can survive our boredom. Because when everybody was dying, everybody was cool with, Lord, let us thou thy servant depart in peace. The real question right now is, I'm bored, Lord, and I have a cell phone that entertains me every five seconds, so do something. <laughs> Be interesting. The question is whether or not the liturgy can survive our enthusiasm, our, our need to feel everything for it to be real. Even though I've never felt China in my heart, but I'm perfectly content buying junk from there on Amazon. The real question is whether or not the church can survive relative morality. The idea that, that you know whatever makes me happy must be good even though it hurts everybody else around me and myself in the long run. The answer is yes, it can. And in fact, that, that's, that's why it's given. But it really sort of resolve, or revolves around the fact, is Jesus present here or not? If Jesus is present in the liturgy, then even when I am bored, is Jesus present? You know what bored is? Safe. I love boring now. So much. When my phone rings after midnight, I'm never bored. And it's never good. Bored is saying, Lord, you've taken such good care of me that, I don't know. I'm going to say, I need maybe an idol or two now. But even here, the Lord is here in his word to pull me back out of it. Um, the boredom that has caused us to, to butcher the liturgy and turn it into ourselves and our work, the, the boredom that is, has caused us to skip church we we argue over church attendance a lot like you know is it is it because of schedules have gotten so much busier or because we have two family incomes now and so you know family time has become so much more precious or 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 you know just sort of it, it's not the culturally popular thing to do like it was in the 50s and 40s um i, I really think that it, it boils down to the fact that deep down we have a hard time believing that god is truly present in church in a different way than he's present everywhere else I mean, if we believe that God is truly present here, where do we go but to where God is? That's why the shepherds watching in the fields by night saw the angel chorus, heard the, the, the alleluias, and said, let us, oh, Bethlehem, let us sit here and think about it. No. Let us go. I want to see the Lord. If Jesus is present here in a meaningful way, of course I'm going to go there. What if it's illegal? Jesus is there. Who can save me from the acts of the executioner? Of course I'm going to go there. What if there's a plague? I better get me some resurrection in the life. Let's go to where Jesus is. It's in fact that recognition that has gathered us all these years. That, that we believe that God is truly present through the means which he has promised. This is what the church is, is founded on. In fact, let's go Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20. 
Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all to observe all the things which I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The, the thing that the church is, is founded on is this, that in the observance of that which God has commanded, namely, the proper understanding of his word and the reception of his sacraments, in the baptism of all the saints, God is with us, even unto the end of the age. We don't do this thing because it's financially wise. It's not. I mean, it's just, it's not. We, we don't do this thing because it's easy. You know that it's not. We don't always even do this thing because it's the most fun thing in the world to do with our time. Sin is usually more fun. Well, because we really like to, because we're sinners. Um, we do this thing because this is where the promise is. Faith in Jesus goes to Jesus. And so the divine service is simply this. Jesus is here for you. This is how. Are, are you kind of with me? Yeah. And so as we, we gather here then, over and over again, this, by the way, isn't sort of the y'all leave the church and go witness. But simply this is what the church does as it exists in all nations. That anywhere you go, build one of these things. I mean, if you don't have time for bricks, more than anything, baptize, teach, observe the things which I have commanded you. Receive the supper. This is where God is found. We do all of the bricks, all of the art, all of everything else, because it does help to teach us. It does help to shape us. Even it just keeps us warm. Um, and that's wonderful. But church has always just, it, it's just been... This, and it, it, it speaks to what we believe. Um, how we worship, it, it really does shape how we believe. And how we believe also shapes how we worship. And so, I mean, it's the same thing anywhere else. When you walk into Target, can you tell what's there? I can get three steps into Target and I know what kind of environment I am in. I am a pl in a place that caters to trendy white people. That's Target, Right? And so there'll be, you know, the, the, everything. Is, is, there's a Starbucks within arm's reach of the door of Target. I know when I walk in the hardware store what you're about, right? How come? It's right there for me to see. Why is a church different? You walk in the church and you can tell right away what they're about. You truly can. Walk in the door and look. And that you ought to. I mean, that's, it, marketing isn't a bad word when it comes to these things. We, we simply display who we are. In the same way, if I walk into your garage and everything is red and the letter N is plastered all over everything, do I know what you're about? I do. That's not a bad thing. It's a simple identity. Um, different denominations, as we have drifted farther and farther apart, we, we recognize the fact that we do believe differently simply in the fact that we don't worship the same way. And so if you go to big, giant churches that are shaped like rock star stadiums, they have something called seeker services, um, which are, are church services wholly designed to attract people from the outside in. And um, they, they then focus on a, a few different things to, to kind of make sure that, that everybody can, can really fit in right away, that there's, there's nothing that's going to make you uncomfortable. And so things like, you know, I don't like a dead Jesus hanging on a cross. To, to offend somebody who doesn't know what's there. Um, something like, like closed communion will definitely not 
be there. Um, even just basic doctrinal statements, because they are, they are offensive. If we simply say, I believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can you worship Vishnu here? Can you? No! He's not allowed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, come on down. Vishnu, you gotta go somewhere else. I'm sorry. When you go then to, um, especially really, really big hospitals, small ones, especially private ones, Christian ones still, by and large, have a chapel. But big public hospitals. Um, there, have you ever been to... Um, it, it's, it's more just like an empty room with some chairs. Bring whatever you want into it, set it up, and leave when you're done. Anything fits. Except here's the thing. Seeker services don't work for Lutherans, not real ones. Because the seeker service is directly opposed to the Bible verse that says, no one seeks God. How are you going to seek God if no one seeks God? In other words, can I market you into coming to church? I do want to confess what I believe when you walk in the door. But can I bring people into genuine faith by appealing to country music? Or, you know, vaguely 90s rock or, or anything else? Can I, can I really genuinely, um, even just come on down and I'll give you a hundred bucks. Can that create genuine faith that confesses the Apostles' Creed? Now, I certainly might go for a hundred bucks. Don't get me wrong. I certainly might go for the music. Don't get me wrong. But I thought what we were about was Jesus. Um, and so the idea then is it's something simply then that, that we want to sort of trick people into this. Man doesn't search for God. Here's the real question. Does God search for man? If we're going to be called, gathered, enlightened, sanctified, and kept, what must it be through then? The Holy Spirit, the Word of God. That has to take precedent then. And so, if our organ breaks, we'll play the thing on a piano. And if our piano broke, uh, we would sing a cappella. Um, you can play the ukulele if you really want, but you've got to sooner or later make peace with the fact that you're singing to a, a ukulele. Um, it's, it's weird, but the thing that matters above all else is what we're saying. And if that's the case, if the thing that matters above all else is what music you're playing, let's, let's stop and talk. Um, reaching out is not a bad thing either. Um, but worship isn't evangelism, and evangelism isn't worship. Worship is something that gathers us, that gives us gifts. Evangelism is when we actually find the people that God has given us in need and we tell them, I know where the help is. Come and receive it with me. So Lutherans aren't big on seeker services because we don't actually think people seek God. We think God seeks us. And so we talk then about all the places where he does. Um, inside of Protestant circles where um, works righteousness kind of reigns supreme, uh, you've got a lot more... Well, academic sermons. And so a Lutheran sermon probably ain't going to top about 20 minutes. Um, if you go into, um, like especially back when the pilgrims settled, their sermons were hour and a half, two hours. And even still inside of um, certain Reformed churches, I mean, you have very, very academic approaches to the Bible um, in that um, you, you sort of in all of it, start to try and shape a culture that differs from the world. And again, that's not a bad thing. 
We are not of the world. We are not supposed to love the things that the world loves. But at the same time, do you know you're a Christian because you live in a Christian community and you wear Christian t-shirts and you behave well in public? Or do you know you're a Christian because you're baptized? The churches then that focus on the outward moralities don't seem to focus on the baptism that made you, do they? In fact, a lot of them have changed baptism from God's gift to you into your pledge of allegiance towards God. And they won't even baptize babies because they're not ready to make that. Ethics are not a bad thing, but ethics aren't the center of worship either. Jesus for sinners is the center of worship. There are churches that, that really want to make, you know, the, the emotions that you feel um, the center of worship. And so everything inside of that building is designed to evoke an emotional response in the proper sense, which really isn't that hard. Drum beats do a lot of good. Lighting does a lot of good. It's not that hard to, to find a formulaic response. You guys have all seen the movies then where you can make the inspiring speech and you know that the music starts to play softly in the background and it builds even as the cadence and the, the speech builds and not just because the kids are loud but because we actually need to make our point and then we drop it right back down. And, and that's not a bad thing. I catch myself preaching that way too sometimes. Um, somebody told me I, I preach like a beat poet. A slam poet, that's, thanks. Um, <laughs> it's not a bad thing to feel. You're not a robot. God didn't make you that. He gave you your emotions and he called them good. The problem comes from when you try and measure God by your emotions. Because when you try and measure God by your emotions, when you need him the most, he will feel the farthest away. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not because it's bright and shiny, but because thou art with me. So I want to go to the places where God is, is with me. Um, when we make emotion the center of worship, we stop looking to where God has promised to be and we start looking to our hearts, which are very fickle things and sometimes really like sin. When we really want to measure ethics, ethics are good. But when you make ethics the center of the worship service, only the Pharisees can come, definitely not the sinners or the tax collectors. When, when, we, when we try and create a seeker-driven um, market for, for our church, I, it's good to invite people to church. You should invite people to church. But when we make it our everything, we can't actually give you anything once you're here because, well, all doctrine is divisive. Jesus himself says this is the stumbling block. And so if we're going to speak decided truths that are um, foolishness to the Gentiles, that... Well, we preach Christ crucified anyway. A stung block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified even when he's offensive and especially when he's offensive because he forgives. The center of the Lutheran worship service and all that we do is we start to, to pick apart the parts of our service, the hymns that we sing, the creeds that we speak. It is rooted in this. What do we believe about Jesus? And is he actually here for us? Because if he is here for us, it's going to look like something. And if he is doing stuff for us, it's going to have an effect. And if he has actually promised to save us here, well, then it matters that we do it a certain way. Because I want to know. I want to be sure. I want to have certainty. And so to a Lutheran, worship service is this. Divine service is this. Jesus is present for sinners. He's here to forgive you and do it in a way that you may be certain that it worked. Certainty. Is, is huge. It's, it's the greatest thing that the Lutherans have going for them. Of all the stuff that that's, you can throw rocks at us because of, of potlucks or, or even just that we fight about theology way too much or, or you know, we, we, we don't like change, whatever joke about screwing in a light bulb you can come up with. Um, we do certainty better than anyone else. I know who you are in Christ. You are holy. 
You are worthy of love because Christ has died for you. The Holy Spirit has baptized you. He's named you as his own. And he gathers you each week to bestow this gift upon you that whatever else you go through in that week, you might know that you have it too. This is everything that we do here. Um, and so that's kind of that. You guys got any questions or comments? Yeah. What? What are comments? Comments are like when you say, I love you, Jesus loves you. It's not a question. It's a statement. How about you all, though, grown-ups? Questions or comments? All right, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all very much.